Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. To those who are celebrating Mother's Day, we want you to know how much we appreciate you. Hope and pray that you've had a great day. And I uh, had the opportunity to visit with Jared's folks a minute ago. And his mother had the opportunity to have another birthday on Friday and Mother's Day today. So it's been a great weekend for her. And I know that uh, they're glad to be here, to be around Jared and Anna and their grandkids. And we appreciate and love them very much. And thankful for all that they do, that we have part in the work in Newton, Iowa. So we appreciate them very, very much. Thank you again for being here tonight. If you're visiting with us, we encourage you to come back. We're so thankful for those who visit our, our services week to week. We have some that have placed membership with us, and we're glad for that. If you're looking for a church home, as always, please feel free to become a part of the work here. We would love to have you come and work with us and be a part of the family here. I know Brother Billy and Brother Dio would be more than happy to sit down, talk to you, answer any questions you might have, and so we want to give you that invitation tonight. We're looking tonight at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, as we continue our series of studies, we're looking at some of the great characters of, of the Bible. Tonight, interestingly, we're going to be focusing on an unnamed Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, in my opinion, is one of the highlights in the book of John. Really what stands out to me is this fact. Sometimes the most unlikely candidates are the best candidates when it, when it comes to discipleship. And so I want us to look at John chapter 4 as we think about this woman from Samaria. Jesus was leaving Judea, traveling northward to Galilee. And he met this woman at Jacob's well in Sychar, at the foot of what we might call Mount Gerasim, which was about 40, 45 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. And it's at Jacob's well that Jesus comes in contact with this Samaritan woman. And a conversation ensues. And as a result of this conversation, this woman comes to learn something about the Messiah, the Christ. And the Lord made a tremendous impression on her life. And so I want to look at John chapter 4 tonight with you, and I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the reputation of this woman from Samaria. And socially, her reputation was not viewed by the Jews of that day in what we might call a favorable light. Matter of fact, she had two strikes against her. Number one, her genealogy. She was a Samaritan. Now you remember in about 722, 721, the northern kingdom of Israel was carried into Assyrian captivity. Ten tribes. Those tribes never came back. You know, the southern kingdom, they were carried into Babylonian captivity, spent 70 years in Babylon. And under the edict of Cyrus, they were allowed to return to their homeland. They began rebuilding the temple rebuilding the walls of the city. And that was in about 539 B.C. Well, the northern kingdom, they were taken into captivity never to return. And so what happened, those people from the northern kingdom, they intermarried. And as a result of that, you have what we would call the Samaritan people. And so they would have been viewed as half-breeds. 
The Jews, they despised them. Matter of fact, look at John in chapter 4, particularly in verse 9. Jesus had asked this woman for a drink of water, and she makes what we might say to be a startling statement. She says, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? Well, why? Because the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so, number one, her genealogy. Number two, her gender. In the ancient world, women were viewed in many respects as nothing more than property. They had little, if any, rights. And for a man to talk to a woman in public was something else. I think it was Socrates who gave thanks every day that he was not born a woman. And so when we talk about the plight of women in the ancient world, what was it that elevated womanhood in the eyes of the world? I believe it was the gospel of Christ. And I think Jesus had the right kind of view when it came to the sexes, both male and female. And so socially, she would have been viewed as an outcast. But then spiritually, she had some baggage. What we find out in reading the conversation that took place between Jesus and this woman, you remember he asked her to go and call her husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And the Lord said, you're correct. You've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. So here's a woman that's been married five times. She's now living with a man. Now you talk about spiritual baggage. Are there not people in the world today? Are there not people in this community and other places? I read about a lady today. If I were to call her name, many of you would, you would know something about her. But it said in the article that I read, during her lifetime she was married nine times. Now just imagine. You know, there are folks in our world today, they've never been taught what the Bible has to say about marriage. They have never come to understand the responsibility that goes into the marital relationship. There's nothing binding there really, and so if problems arise, they walk. So here's a lady, she has had no doubt any number of problems within her home. And so she's got some spiritual baggage. But then not only was she married five times and living with a guy, but we would say she was in spiritual bondage. You know, Jesus came to liberate people from the bondage of sin. You remember in John chapter 8, when Jesus said, If the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. In verse 34, Jesus would say that those who commit sin, literally, He said, they are the bondservants of sin. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about those who are taken captive by the devil at His will, or to do His will. So when people get caught up in a life of sin, what they sometimes fail to understand is they're in bondage. If you want to know something about the bondage of sin, look at the number of people in our world today that have problems with substance abuse, alcoholism. That is a tremendous example of what it means to be in bondage to something. So the reputation of this woman. But then there's a second thought here. It has to do with the realization 
of this woman from Samaria. Now, pick up with me in John chapter 4. In verse 9, you remember Jesus has asked her for a cup of water. She's at Jacob's well to draw water. And so in verse 10, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus was able to take things that were common to people and make spiritual application. And so look at verse 10. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says to you, give me a drink, He said, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. And so in verse 11, she said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it, as well as his sons and livestock? And then verse 13, Jesus said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now listen to what the woman said. Sir, give me this water, number one, that I may not thirst, number two, that I don't have to come here and draw water repeatedly. So what's she thinking about? She's thinking about physical water. Jesus is not talking about the physical here, but rather He's talking about the spiritual. So again, you think about Jesus, the master teacher. And sometimes Jesus employed parables, what we call an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The Lord Jesus was able to take the common everyday things of life and use those as a springboard to talk about spiritual things. So she's thinking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual water. You remember back in John chapter 3 when Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus? And Jesus, of course, during this conversation, talks to Nicodemus about the new birth. You remember what he said? Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus automatically thought about a physical birth, didn't he? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I just imagine Jesus saying, Nicodemus, you got it all wrong. I'm not talking about a physical birth, but rather this is a spiritual birth. And so he said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again. So he wasn't talking about a physical birth. And so Jesus here is offering this woman the opportunity to tap in to the blessings of Messiahship. And by that I simply mean to become a disciple of His. To enjoy the liberty that only the Lord could give. And so, with that in mind, note what the text says. Verse 14, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So now Jesus here emphasizing the opportunity for eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water that, I'm, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now, that conversation leads to a command given by the Lord. He said, go call your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus 
had this to say. You have well said, I have no husband. You've had five husbands. The one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Now, you know, sometimes when a conversation turns in maybe takes a turn into an area of our life that we, that we don't want to talk about, what do we do? We change the subject, don't we? Isn't that typical? You know, sometimes you can begin a conversation talking about spiritual things and talking about spiritual things and automatically somebody will try to turn that to the secular. Well, Jesus took the secular and turned it into the spiritual. So this woman... She raises a question about worship. After all, they're at the foot of Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans, they believe that Mount Gerizim was the place of worship. The Samaritan people, they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They knew something. They had limited knowledge about God and about worship, etc. But they didn't have what we would call a comprehensive view of God and worship. So they were mistaken about the place of worship. So note what this lady has to say. Well, let me just inject this very quickly. When Jesus disclosed to her her marital situation, the fact that she was living with a guy, remember what she said? Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You think that light was going off and she's thinking in her heart of hearts, you know what, there's something about this man. Now, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 foretold of a prophet to come. Having been knowledgeable of the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, she would have known something about this prophet to come. I'm not sure she understood that he was the prophet, but she will later come to that knowledge. And so... Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, that is on Mount Gerizim. But you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Well, that was God's ordained place of worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And so Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Salvation came through the nation of Israel. Their whole purpose was to bring the Christ, the Messiah, into the world. That's why God spared that southern kingdom, that remnant of people that came back from captivity. And so in verse 23, Jesus said, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now, listen to this. Jesus said, For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. That'd be true today, wouldn't it? And then verse 24, a verse we're all familiar with. Jesus said, God is spirit, and they are those who worship Him, must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now look at verse 25, very important. In verse 25, the lights are beginning to come on. She has already acknowledged that Jesus must have been a prophet. And now she says... I know that Messiah is coming, which is the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. It says something about her faith. Even though this lady had limited knowledge of the Old Testament, 
she had faith in the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. And one of the more fascinating things about this account in John chapter 4, verse 26, is that Jesus reveals Himself to her. You know, there are a number of occasions when Jesus would ask questions about His identity. For example, in Matthew 16, He's in the northern part of Palestine. And you remember He asked the disciples on one occasion, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they began to give Him a variety of answers. On another occasion, Jesus asked the question, What do you think about the Christ? Whose Son is He? So He was probing people, wanting to know what they thought about His identity. So when this lady said, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ, and when He comes, He'll tell us all things. Listen to what Jesus said. I who speak to you am He. Do you think that would have gotten your attention? Here's a lady that had a reputation that had been soiled. She was an outcast. And she has been face to face with the very Son of God. She was looking into the eyes of the Messiah. And Jesus tells her, look, I am the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. He didn't say that to just everyone. So now, I want to turn from this and think about the report. The report of this Samaritan woman. Look at verse 27. Now, let me preface this by saying that the Lord had revealed Himself to her. And that made a tremendous impression on her life. So in verse 27, the Bible tells us that when the disciples came back, they marveled. And the reason they marveled was because He was talking with a woman. Yet no one say, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the man, or rather said to the men, listen to this, verse 29, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. And then here's the question, could this be the Christ? In other words, you need to evaluate him. You need to make a thorough investigation of the man that I've just talked to. Now, her conversation with Jesus made a profound impression on her life. And this lady that had all of this spiritual baggage becomes a tremendous influence for good for the cause of Christ. Now let me just pause here and ask this question. And I'm talking to myself as well. Is it possible that there are times in life when we size people up and write them off before we ever give them a chance? You ever done that? You ever made a judgment call on the basis of sight? I guess we all have, haven't we? Is it possible that we never give people the opportunity to come to know something about the Christ because in our mind we think, you know what, they wouldn't be interested. They're not interested in spiritual things. 
Look, if we were perfect, if the world, if the world was a perfect place with perfect people, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need His church. The fact of the matter is, the world is under sin. And the remedy for sin is the blood of Christ. Jesus saw something in this woman that was worth redeeming. Let me tell you what, God sees something in every one of us that is worth redeeming. When we look around and see people in this world, I don't care what side of the train tracks they're living on. Behind those two eyes, you have a human soul, a soul that will live forever either in heaven or hell. And the only way that that person will have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven is the gospel. We have the message, we have the means, and the question is, are we, will, are we willing to reach across sometimes those social barriers, obstacles if you please, to talk to people about what they need the most? And what is that? The gospel. I mean, that's what people need more than it. Now, they may not know that, but that's what they need. I like reading about the Apostle Paul. I like traveling with Paul throughout the book of Acts, don't you? And you think about some of the cities that Paul visited from time to time, Athens. You know, in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, the Bible says that his spirit was stirred within him. The word stirred there means exasperated to burn with anger. Why was Paul's spirit stirred in the city of Athens? Because he saw the whole city given over to idolatry. Paul could have easily concluded that the philosophers of ancient Greece, the intellectual giants of that city, they wouldn't have been interested in the Christ. They didn't know anything about the nature of the one true God. And what did Paul do? He lifted high the one true living God. He makes, makes the transition over to the city of Corinth. Corinth, they're known for immorality and idolatry. Matter of fact, the name Corinth was synonymous with debauchery. Paul could easily have concluded they wouldn't be interested in the gospel. I mean, these folks are knee-deep in sin. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You'll see a list of sins that were common to the people of Corinth. And yet Paul spent 18 months, matter of fact, the Lord said to Paul, do not keep silent. Why? Because I have many people in this city. What do you think the Lord was saying? There are a lot of souls here. Paul spent 18 months in that city, and let me tell you what, it yielded a great harvest for the cause of Christ. Now with that in mind, note what it said in verse 30. She had asked the question, could this be the Christ? They went out of the city and came to Him. In the meantime, His disciples urged Him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said, I have food to eat, of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought Him anything to eat? And here's what Jesus said, My food, my meat, is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to finish His work. Do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. So, this is in what we would call the wintertime. He said, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white to harvest. 
You think Jesus here recognizes that there is some fertile, there is some fertile ground that can be plowed? You're not talking about, not talking about the physical seed you plant in the ground that yields crops. Rather, he's talking about souls. And Jesus is saying, the fields are white to harvest. I'm here to tell you tonight, the fields are white to harvest. There are people all over this world, we may not know it, but they're looking for truth. They're searching. And there are honest and good hearts, if given the opportunity to hear the gospel, would respond favorably. Jesus is pointing His disciples to this fact that the fields are white. They're ready to be harvested. So now with that in mind, drop down look at verse 39. In verse 39, we have the influence of this Samaritan lady. The Bible says many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. When the Samaritans had come to Him, they urged Him to stay with them. He stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of His own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves. Now listen to this. We have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Anointed One the Savior of the world. When Jesus sat down with that woman at the well and started that conversation, who would have believed that this woman with all of this baggage would have become such a great soul winner? Here's the point. There are folks that we may look at in the world about us and we might think they wouldn't be interested. When, if we'll just spend some time, matter of fact, there are two things that stand out in my mind about this account. Number one, Jesus was willing to share some time with this Samaritan woman. Time is precious, isn't it? A precious commodity. 24 hours in a day. But Fred and I were talking just a little bit before services tonight about what Jesus said in John chapter 9. Remember, Jesus said, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. We only have a limited amount of time on this earth. As you get older in life, you start realizing, whatever I'm going to do, I better get it done. Why? Because time is running out. Jesus spent three, three and a half years involved in His personal ministry. Time was short. He had to make every minute count. So here's the Lord Jesus sharing His time. You think about the Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, took His precious time and talked to this woman. Why? Because He had something to give her that would bless her immeasurably. So He shared His time and He shared His truth. That living water, if we're going to reach people for Christ, it's going to take two things. Number one, we're going to have to share some time with other people. 
And number two, we're going to have to be willing to share the truth of Almighty God. That means we're going to have to know something about this book. Let me encourage all of us this week. I want to encourage all of us this week. You know, we had a great day last week, and it was a great day. But every Lord's Day ought to be a great day. Every Lord's Day. Now, a lot of us, we were interested in bringing people to services last week, and that was great. I want to encourage you, identify one person this week, just one. Call them, text them. Visit them. Invite them to services. We have some really good tracks out in the foyer. Alan Webster has written them. Alan was here with us last week. You go take one of those tracks. When you go to the grocery store, when you go to the gas station, wherever you go this week, if you're at work, school, whatever, you take one of those tracks and give it to one person. And tell them, if you have any more questions about what you read, I'd like to talk to you. Will you do that this week? Would you be willing to invest your time and God's truth in one soul this week? Just one. Tonight we have a focus team meeting. Tomorrow night we'll have Monday night for the Master. Two opportunities for us to be together and to labor for the cause of Christ or to lift up Christ. I encourage you to stay tonight. I encourage you to come back tomorrow night. But I want to encourage you specifically. Look at your life. Look at the life of the Samaritan woman. And look at the difference she made in the lives of people. You know, wouldn't it be great one day to look around in heaven and see at least one person that we had some influence on in their life? And wouldn't it be great for one person to say to us in heaven, listen, I'm here in large part because of you. Wouldn't that be something? So this week, make it a point to reach out to one person. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. We're thankful for the opportunity to be your disciples and to try to reach others with the gospel. Help us to be more aware of those who are lost and dying in sin. Help us to reach out to the best of our ability to those who are lost and dying in sin to give them the gospel that will set them free. Bless the work of the church here. Bless our elders, our deacons, every member. Bless our young people. We're so thankful for them. We're thankful for our teachers, for every member. Help us, Father, to be what we ought to be, to be a light in this world. And Father, we pray that one day we might all be together in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ. Jesus said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that means He loved you, loved me, loves the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't believe in the Lord. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you repented of your sins, confessed His name before others, been buried with Him in baptism? If you've done that, then the Lord put you in this kingdom, in the church. If you're here tonight and you're a member of the body of Christ, at one point in time in your life you were baptized into Christ, 
At one point in time, you were faithful, but now you're not what you ought to be. Could we pray with you and for you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon? Won't you come as we stand and sing?